the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, a few years ago, Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots football team, finally broke his silence about a rather unusual event that took place. He shared how the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, stole one of his $25,000 Super Bowl rings. While it pains me to say this as a Dallas Cowboys fan, he had three more where that one came from, so I guess we can't feel too, too bad for him. But it's true. Back in 2005, Kraft actually visited Putin at the Kremlin and made the mistake of taking off his ring and letting the Russian leader examine it. As he held it in his hands, uh, he had a twinkle in his eye, and Putin said, I could kill somebody with this ring, given its girth and size. And after admiring it, he promptly slipped it into his pocket, and then his KGB group surrounded him, and they walked out of the room with Kraft's ring still in his pocket that still had his name engraved upon it. So after Kraft got back home, he asked the State Department what to do, and they encouraged him in those tenuous relationships between our country and Russia to just say that he gave Putin the ring and let it go. But a few years ago, he finally broke his silence and shared about the entire incident. The point is this. Kraft did give Putin his ring, but only temporarily, for a few moments, to admire. But... He did not intend for Putin to take possession of it as if the ring belonged to him. Now, I share that because, as we'll turn our attention in just a moment to John chapter 3, we're reminded that we at times wrestle with the same, if we're honest. God entrusts us with so much, so freely, and yet, at times, we act in such a manner. Now, This issue of stewardship that arises from the text is one that we often associate most quickly with our finances. And while it includes that, um, being a steward of the whole of our lives is far more than just in certain aspects, but it frames the way in which we lead our lives and every interaction with God within it, and the lens by which we see and engage the world around us. So on this morning in particular, a morning um, as we continue into Advent on this third week, we have a case study, if you will, in John the Baptist, who lived his life in such a way, rejoicing in his role as steward. And in many ways, it's fitting because this Sunday, Godette Sunday as it's called, a Pink Candle Sunday as my girls refer to it, is a day that we remember this theme of rejoicing and our call to do the same. So turn with me back to John chapter 3 in your Bibles or follow along in person on the screens as we discover how we may rejoice in our role as steward through perhaps three practical lessons and examples of how we do so. As you open up to it, we notice something that is unique. This scene is only captured in John's gospel. It's a moment of transition between John the Baptist and Jesus, whose ministry is beginning. The opening scene in verse 22 notes that they're both geographically nearby one another, John, that is, and Jesus and his disciples. They're both baptizing, and people are coming to them both. 
John's baptism, as we know, was one of repentance that prepared the way for the Messiah. Jesus' baptism was to lend credence to John's, but also to uh, orient them toward the coming kingdom of God that he would begin to usher in in these moments that would follow. But in this transition, we see some natural tension that is presented. Due to their close proximity, due to the same thing happening, due to people going to both of them, there's a stage that is set. And that's what we see John interact with his disciples and those present about and the verses that follow. But before we actually dive into what goes on there, we should pause and note what has happened before this moment, what has happened before this moment, namely that John has discerned who he is as steward of his life in all aspects, even before rubber meets the road in these interactions. John's clear on who he is in his own life and um, his ministry and his interaction with others and what God was doing, even down to his place in salvation history, as we see. And it's from the outflow of such discernment that these interactions that follow take place. So before we arrive at those words, let's pause and reflect on the same as we are called to rejoice in our role as stewards. And perhaps the first thing to pause and reflect upon is that one of discernment. Now, discernment, as the church uses it, of course, is kind of a discovery in real time of where we are before the Lord. It can certainly mean to discern specific things and aspects God may call us to do, but more broadly, it's a discovery of looking at the whole of our lives through the lens that God gives us, through the fount of all wisdom and interacting with the world around us from such a place. Now, we associate that discernment and that stewardship in terms of it, in terms of our finances, but it's all aspects of our lives if we think about it. It includes our time and our ordering of our days, the use of our gifts and talents, because if we think about it, um, we really have no control over any of those things. After all, um, I don't wake up each morning of my own accord. I don't make the sun to set nor rise on the morrow. Um, I don't uh, draw breath because I've enabled breath around me or air around me to facilitate that. And so we're called to recognize that we're stewards of our days. And as each day is a gift, to seek the Lord as to how to best steward it in the midst of the obligations that are before us. It also comes as we see our abilities and the gifts and wisdom that God's given is not merely ours that we've taken time to learn and acquire, but sometimes it comes through life circumstances and through challenges and through trials, even those that we face right now, that God um, grows us in certain areas towards that end. And even on a higher level, we recognize that our faculties aren't our own to begin with. Um, God even gives us the ability to learn and discover as well. Even though on some days, you like I perhaps feel as though your faculties aren't all there, it gives us a greater recognition that indeed the ability to discover the things that God has given us is certainly his own to entrust to our care. Well, the point is this. At times, we can see anything in our lives on any given moment as our own and in working from that place rather than recognizing they are gifts from above. It's a key discovery because as we discern such a place in our relationship uh, to God and certainly the world around us, it frames the way in which we engage the world as a whole. 
After all, think about it. If John the Baptist had acted in his own self-interest, his own ego, his own self-importance, his own identity and wrapped up in his ministry at this point, the points that follow might have transpired quite differently. But rather, John, from such discernment, has framed his whole life from this posture, recognizing that it is not his own, and rather his days and his life therein are merely as a forerunner for the Messiah, for Jesus. And so he found freedom from the friction of life in the awe of what unfolds before us, to which we'll turn back in verse 25. It's there that we read that John's disciples are engaged in this conversation with this unnamed individual, a Jew over the uh, ritual purification, a theological debate. Essentially, this individual is not part of John's circle. Um, presumably, uh, they've come to John's disciples having checked out what Jesus is doing um, and coming to report and wanting to understand the nuances between the two. And what follows is rather not a debate on ritual purification at all, but rather the merits of what John is doing in relationship to Jesus. That's what's brought to John in verse 26. As they say, essentially, what's going on over there as Jesus gains notoriety and success in relation to us? The concern we see plays out quite evidently. John's disciples are threatened and envious of Jesus. They won't even use Jesus' name in their communication to John about the report. Did you notice that? Instead, they say, look, over there is that one that you bore witness to, and now he's essentially doing what we're doing, and the whole world is going out to him. He's pulling away from us, and they're wanting to see how John will respond. And in verse 27, from a place of keen discernment, John quite truthfully says people can only receive what God provides. Truth can't be manufactured, but it comes from God. And he's secure in who he is and the role that God has given him. And so he responds from such a place. When rubber meets the road, when the friction begins to arise, instead of puffing up, John could have said, yeah, you know what, you guys are right. We got Jesus' start. We're the ones that kind of launched his ministry. Um, he could be threatened. He could be defensive. But rather, from such keen discernment, it leads him to this decision to respond differently, a posture to which we'll turn in just a moment. But before we do so, let's pause because I think therein lies another consideration as to how perhaps we may uh, rejoice in our role as stewards, that having discerned who we are in God's eyes, that we choose to, de to decide to respond from such a place. You see, after all, we know this. It's one thing to say each day is a gift, God gives me so much. I'm so blessed. It's another thing to actually decide to live from such a place. When rubber meets our pocketbook, our calendar, our goals and life agendas, or the culture itself, it becomes more than words in the decisions we make or the indecision that it presents us with in real time. If Jesus' entrance into the world, as we celebrate in two short weeks, hard to believe, um, is something more than what we proclaim. If the words we uh, recite each week in the Nicene Creed truly are internalized, then we must decide to live differently. 
After all, this season we're in that drags on has shown us how to adapt. Perhaps we need to re-engage and decide how we're going to live, both as a church and individual members therein, as to how we will engage not only our own lives but the world around us from such discernment. Perhaps it presents us with opportunities to re-engage the Lord in prayer and in study. As new uh, network televisions just launched back up for the fall in November, uh, we've discovered we had more time than perhaps we did in watching our favorite shows or uh, having run through our binged series on, on streaming channels. Um, perhaps we've had more time than we have before um, to adapt to less of a commute but even more increased responsibilities, and now is a time to begin to reflect how we might engage God more fully. Perhaps now in the season of the life of the church, where we can't be as busy around the ministries of the church, we're called to be busy being present more fully with Jesus and preparing for what he has for us in this next season. You see, John the Baptist's life was one not merely of discernment, but of decisive action in the hard moments that lead us to reflect upon how we do so today. So turn with me as we conclude to the incredible ending of this passage back in verse 28. John concludes his teaching at this point by telling his disciples as he continues on that I've not said anything other than what you've heard. I never said I was the Christ. I never said I was he who would come. I'm merely the messenger who was sent before him. And then he employs this wonderful image of the bridegroom, which is kind of lost on us culturally. It's an image um, that we know of from other portions of Scripture later on in Jesus' own teaching, namely that it was the job of kind of the best man, not just to be the best bud of the bridegroom, but the one who would steward over and tend to one's bride before he would arrive. Um, he would often go and prepare uh, a home, prepare a place for them to live, Perhaps geographically there was a distance between them, and it would be the job of the bridegroom to tend to such things, to watch over the bride until they were joined. And so John says, that's my role. And having completed that role, my joy is complete. And so he concludes with this last phrase, he must increase, namely Jesus that is, and I must decrease. It's a great humble moment one of clarity and conviction that is brought forth in these words. And they lead us, perhaps, to one last point to consider in our role of rejoicing as stewards of all that God has entrusted to us. Namely, that we who have embraced such a decision then would take steps to live into it. And it's one daily of decrease in our lives. Deciding to follow Jesus, to embrace him, and every aspect of our lives will mean that we must decrease in aspects of our lives in order to do so. Let's see if we can get this to quit squat. Nope. All right, bear with us. So what that means is that we must decrease in each aspect of our lives, decreasing in our desire for the accolades of man, the desire for vainglory, yes, that John brushed off. It must come as we decrease in the use of our time for our own ends to increase in setting aside times to be with Jesus in prayer and in study. It comes as we engage our own skills, not 
just for our own gains and our own desires, but for the building up of God's kingdom. It decreases in every outflow of our lives because Jesus himself did that for us. After all, that's what we recall in a few short days, that God condescends and steps into the world for our sake in such humility, decreasing so that we might become um, the place and the posture that he intended in right relationship with God. And so if we would walk in such a way, we should know that it comes with nothing less. So what John reminds us is that when we live in that way, it's not a downer. It's not um, merely just our faithful call to just persevere, but rather we find joy and completion of our joy because we're finding our life's purpose fulfilled. But sadly, everything else in life shouts at us otherwise. Your joy will be complete if you do, buy, have, act, respond, or are a part of this, that, or the other. And yet, the timeless truth of the gospel that we reflect on this day is to rejoice in these days of the only thing that will transform us, namely, discerning who we are in God's eyes, first and foremost, and then deciding from such a discovery afresh to respond from that place. And for many of us, it means that we must take what we know and profess and let that penny drop into our hearts as we, with our lips and our lives, embrace decisively what we are called to do as followers of Jesus. For from that place, we must decrease, just as John did, so that Jesus may be made known in our lives and in the world around us. And as we do so, we may rejoice because we have found our purpose, not trying to tuck away what is God's in our own way, but embracing and ever holding fast in our lives to that which is marked by preparation until Jesus returns. Whereby, we too may echo John's words when we see our Savior face to face. Now my joy is complete as I have lived in this way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.